Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, June 2nd, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Chinusa. Nick, it's June. That means we are officially moving into year three of The Planet Today. Wow. That is unbelievable to hear out loud. Uh, I'm shocked that we're not at 200 episodes yet, but you know what? It kind of makes sense now that I'm doing the math in my head. What a third year we have ahead of you guys. My God. I'm excited. So buckle up. I think, you know, we had a really good year too. Quick reflection. Uh, Year one was a lot of learning on our parts. The show has gotten so much better than those first couple we put out. Um, They're on Spotify. Don't go back and listen. (laughs) (laughs) We are are constantly trying to evolve the show and I'm really happy with where it's at. We're going to keep working on it, keep improving it. And hopefully year three is uh, even better than the last two. Yeah, I feel like for every like good show, season three is usually like one of the best seasons of all time. When you look back, like I'm thinking about like Always Sunny, The Sopranos. I could name shows all day, but season three is usually a really good season. So, well, let's make sure we don't go with the Westworld route where season one was phenomenal, season two was <laughs> fine, and season three was one of the worst things I've watched. <laughs> all right, we got a packed episode today. Let's do this thing. For our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Damian Carrington, who writes Plastic pollution could be slashed 80% by 2040, UN says, for The Guardian. So, what's important to start this off with is that this report also said this is feasible and affordable. What we're about to talk about isn't some sort of, you know, if we dump all of our money into this, we can do it story. Like, this actually could and would work if we move towards it. Last week, the United Nations Environment Program, or UNEP, found that by eliminating unnecessary plastics, increasing the reuse of plastics, improving recycling, and replacing some plastics with greener alternatives, 80% of plastic pollution could be removed by 2040. This basically translates to decreasing the plastics in packaging, reusing water bottles, and moving to plant-based plastics instead of synthetic plastics. If we continue to live as we are currently living, 227 million tons of plastic will enter the environment by 2040. But with stronger government policies and changes to the plastics industry, this number could be reduced to just 40 million tons. That is still a lot, don't get me wrong, but avoiding 187 million tons is incredibly significant. Yeah, so the report found that this would also create trillions of dollars of benefits by reducing the damage caused by plastics to public health, our climate, and the environment. People consume microplastics through our food and water. We breathe in plastics, and plastic particles have been found in people's blood and breast milk. Plastics have been found in the deepest trenches of the ocean and on the summit of Mount Everest. Plastics truly are everywhere. So in March of last year, 193 countries agreed to end plastic pollution through a legally binding agreement that will be signed by 2024, which is the first step. 
enforcing that will be the critical step two. So one of the big changes the article points out is takeout containers or takeaway containers if you are in the UK. They're a major contributor to plastic pollution, but by switching these over to paper or compostable materials, we could cut plastic pollution by 17% just by changing our takeout. Another sector that needs improving is recycling. If virgin plastics were taxed more and recycling became more financially responsible than using new plastics, it could reduce plastic pollution by another 20%. So all this is to say we have the solutions. We just need to commit to them. Yeah, and it's a lot harder than it all sounds, to be honest, because ultimately you have to convince everyone, not everyone, but you have to convince a lot of people um, to do the right thing. And that has always been tough with with people feeling like they have free will and they can do whatever they want. Bah, bah, bah. I think we just it's more about like the bigger issue of, oh, my gosh, I need to do this because X, Y and Z, like give them the reasons to do this, incentivize it as much as we can. I know we've talked about that on the show as well. So I would even take it a step further and say we don't need to convince people. Uh, we, we need a societal shift. Society, especially in like the Western world, it's just way too reliant on plastics as a whole. So who's going to notice if all of a sudden your favorite restaurant just switches to, you know, the kind of like cardboard paper containers that Chinese restaurants use for rice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's not like you're if you give people the option, they're probably going to go with what they are accustomed to. But by changing that default, no one's going to go out of their way and say, hey, you know, the takeout container you gave me last week. It was paper. Can you give me the plastic one before I dump it on my plate and eat anyway? Yeah. So I really think it's just like default switching is going to be the big thing here. And you brought up incentivizing people to to make a new decision. That's going to be really, really important when it comes to the restaurants that are buying this. You know, we need to incentivize buying paper takeout containers, biodegradable or compostable takeout containers because then it's going to give them that incentive they need to go out and buy them. Yeah. When you own a restaurant and you're kind of just getting by, especially in the world we live in today where it's tough for restaurants to make it. Like let's let's call it what it is. It is tough to own a restaurant. No question. And keep that restaurant operational. So you have to cut costs in certain aspects. One of the ways to do that is to go with the cheapest takeout containers because, you know, it's takeout. If we can impose the societal cost or the environmental cost of using virgin plastics, it's going to make paper or recycled plastics a lot more financially responsible. So you're right. Incentivizing whether it's paper or recycled plastics is going to be huge for that. But I don't think it's going to take individual consumers making a conscious decision. Fair point. Fair point. All right. Our next story is from Adam Liptak of the New York Times, who writes Supreme Court limits EPA's power to address water pollution. Last week, the Supreme Court ruled that the EPA could not regulate discharges into millions of acres of wetlands across the U.S. unless they have a, quote, continuous surface connection to those waters. Experts are concerned that this opens up wetlands to pollution without accountability, which Vermont Law School professor Patrick Parento called disastrous for wetlands, biodiversity, and flood control. Kevin Minoli of the EPA worked under Presidents Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump and said this would impact more than half of the wetlands in the United States. 
The case being heard was about whether the homeowners who brought this case to court were subject to regulations under the Clean Water Act, which all nine justices agreed that they were not. The justices did, however, disagree over which wetlands are covered by the Clean Water Act. Justice Kavanaugh and the court's three liberal justices said this would harm the federal government's ability to address pollution and flooding. Kavanaugh wrote that this will leave some wetlands without coverage by the Clean Water Act after being long regulated under that law. So basically what happened here is the court unanimously ruled that the EPA had overstepped its jurisdiction in a case brought by one family. They said that the EPA went too far in telling them, you need to protect the wetlands in your backyard. Then the court set a precedent that will impact an incredible amount of the nation's wetlands. President Biden expressed his frustration with the ruling and said his administration would consider what the next steps are to protect rivers, streams, lakes, and ponds that are connected to these wetlands. So the article also points out that this comes after last year's ruling that the EPA could not address climate change under the Clean Air Act. And it's another just frustrating moment for me where the EPA, and I'm sorry to like really dumb this down to the base level, but it stands for Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah. It's their job to protect the environment. So for the court to come in and say like, actually, you don't have the right to protect wetlands. Wetlands are such an important part of the environment. They're so important for flood control. They are so important for biodiversity. They are so important for local ecosystems. So to say that the Environmental Protection Agency doesn't have the rights to protect that type of ecosystem, yeah, unless it's connected by surface waters to the Clean Water Act, is just insane to me because especially just the nature of how wetlands work, they're going to have a wet season. Yeah. They're going to have a dry season. There are so many wetlands that in the summer, they look pretty dry. Then you go step on it or you dig down into the soil and you realize it has those wetland soils. Are those now not going to be protected just because they aren't connected by water running from the soil into a river? Yeah. Or a river discharging into the wetlands. Like it just doesn't make sense to me here. Yeah. Yeah. That was well said. And I think you touched on basically everything. Um, The one thing I'll say is if you need any more proof of the importance of wetlands, go look at two weeks ago's uh, interview that we had with Carlton Ward Jr. The path of the Panther on Disney plus it stresses the importance of wetlands and the connection between those different rivers, streams, lakes, ponds, all that stuff that are home to countless wildlife and countless species and yeah. and um, different plants and, and stuff like that. So yeah, go look there if you need any more proof of, of this. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and I guess like the only silver lining I can pull out of this is the Biden administration is looking into what they can do next. I hope they do it. And every single time something with Biden's environmental record comes up. I say this, we have an election that's coming up at the end of next year, November, 2024. If you want young voters who are fed up with, with politics in general, or, or fed up with the direction our country is going, you need to energize us by making smart environmental decisions. You know, like environmental policy is smart from just like a basic 
it's the right thing to do standpoint. Yeah. You know, it, it's good to protect the environment, especially when climate change is one of the biggest battles that are that we are facing right now. Probably the biggest battle we've ever faced. It's also just good politics. People care about this. So to ignore it or or to say, yeah, we're going to look into what the next steps are and, and then just hope that people stop paying attention to this. That's not going to get you more voters. Yeah. All right, let's move into this week's environmental policy roundup. California's grid operator approved a $7.3 billion plan to bolster the state's energy transmission system by building thousands of miles worth of high voltage lines. This will help California reach its climate goals by creating better transmission for renewable energies that are entering the grid. California aims to double its renewable energy capacity by 2035 and be carbon-free by 2045. Staying in California, State Farm will no longer be accepting homeowner insurance applications in the state. The company cites the risk of wildfires across the state and the growing costs to rebuild homes that have been damaged by fires. State Farm was the leading insurer of homes in California prior to this decision. Amid growing climate protests across the world, German authorities raided 15 properties across the country last week to look into the financing of the Last Generation Climate Activist Group. Munich prosecutors are investigating seven people aged 22 to 38 on suspicion of supporting or forming a criminal organization. The Last Generation have continually blocked roads across Germany to pressure the government to take stronger climate action. Yeah, touching on the uh, State Farm story, I mean, that's got to be a a pretty roaring testament to be like, uh, probably don't move here. You know, like they are just pulling out of of insuring any homes in the state. Any new for homes. Like, or sorry, any yeah. new homes, I should say. Yeah, that's an important distinction. But still, any new homes from, from uh, being insured, that's got to be scary for if you're living in California. Yeah, and it's it's the same thing that gets brought up all the time when people are like, oh, if the sea level rises... I'm just going to sell my house and move. Sell it to who? Yeah. Who's going to buy it, dude? <laughs> like, who's no who's going to buy it? <laughs> yeah. So th- that's why like proactive planning in the face of climate change is so, so important. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good point you brought up. As always, those three stories are in your show notes. If you want to read for more detail, Nick and I are going to take a quick break and we actually have three stories for you when we get back today. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back 
to the planet today, folks. Next up, Amazon gives up a key part of its climate pledge and deletes the blog post that announced the Shipment Zero initiative. We dug up the details anyway by Business Insider's Alistair Barr. Amazon's goal of having 50% of its shipments be net zero by 2030 took a hit this week by transferring this goal into its wider pledge of net zero carbon across all operations by 2040. Amazon's official statement is that the timeline no longer makes sense for Shipment Zero to have its own narrow goal, so it's just been looped into the company's broader carbon goals. This article mentioned how last year, investigative reporter Will Evans reported on a study that found Amazon had been drastically underestimating its own carbon emissions, to which Amazon responded, it was still very committed to cutting its emissions by ordering electric delivery vans, buying renewable energy for its electricity needs, and other measures. Shipping is an important part of Amazon's carbon footprint because of why people use Amazon. It's a fast delivery option for everyday products. Without quickly decarbonizing its shipping sector, Amazon's fast shipping will continue to use large amounts of fossil fuels and create large amounts of greenhouse gases. Amazon's initial blog post that announced Shipment Zero called for 50% of all Amazon deliveries to be net zero by 2030. Admitted that this would be difficult, but it would be, quote, worth being focused and stubborn on this vision, end quote. At the time, Amazon also said it was committed to seeing Shipment Zero work. All right, so I'm going to do two things here. The first one, very quickly, I'll play devil's advocate. I guess if they still have a net zero goal by 2040 for all operations, it's not the end of the world that its shipments are not going to be net zero by 2030. Um, That being said, the devil has enough advocates. My actual thoughts on this are, this sucks because Amazon is probably the biggest retailer in the world. And, you know, you had mentioned Amazon is used because it has fast shipping options. You know, people are going to continue to use it when they need stuff the next day. Like that's why people use Amazon for its convenience. So I don't think Amazon is going anywhere. And with Amazon continuing to grow, like we're going to see its emissions continue to grow. And it sucks that, Up until last week, we're looking at a company that's saying, hey, half of our shipments are going to be net zero by the end of this decade. And now all of a sudden, we just have to wait and hope they don't move the goalpost again as it gets closer to 2040. I don't know. It's it's, it's very disappointing for a company that also sponsors Climate Pledge Arena out in Seattle. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow, great point. Yeah. Yeah, and what's weird is like, Bezos has given a lot of money to climate change in years past. So this is a little puzzling. And it's also puzzling puzzling that they would be underestimating their own emissions uh, like drastically. Um, so definitely a weird one and definitely one that does suck, like you said, because they do a, a ton, a ton of business. And having, you know, 50% of shipments be net zero by 2030 would make a big impact. Yeah. You know, it would make a massive impact, um, especially in this country. So yeah, I, I mean, this is this is definitely unfortunate. It, it's tough because like, when we look at the sheer dollar number, you're right. He has donated a lot of money to climate change funds and to climate change mitigation efforts and to climate change adapt- adaption efforts. Yeah. But, and I hate doing this, but the whole like percentage of wealth thing, like 
it's it's important to bring up, you know, it's it's for him to donate a million dollars. That's like me donating what? 50? Yeah, that's fair. So you're right. And like I I don't want to discredit the donations, but at the same time for the richest man in the world or one of the richest men in the world, you can almost make a case that it's like a PR move when you pair it with this sort of stuff. Yeah. Like Climate Pledge Arena, which I alluded to earlier, that's the the home stadium for the Seattle Kraken. It's running on 100% renewable energy. Like it's a good stadium. But to have that be something where like you're touting that around while the the company that makes you all of your money is now going back on some of its own climate goals, it it starts to feel disingenuous and it starts to feel like I I don't trust Amazon to get to net zero by 2040 now. Yeah. You know, because what accountability do they have in the same way that what accountability did they have to, to do this by 2030 and back out? Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, millionaires and billionaires and and their habits and, and stuff. Yeah. We do have to be conscious. This is a topic for another day, but we do have to be conscious of like what their actions are versus like what they're just throwing money at, you know, because they have it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want Leo to catch a stray right now, but he just, he just caught one. I think we're a little old for Leo to be listening to our podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> that was incredible. That was so good. I will... I will close this out with with just one important piece of information. I try not to use Amazon. You know, the the last time I used it was for allergy medicine that I needed overnighted. Um, Before that, I bought onesies for my cats while they were recovering from their surgery. Uh, We got them spayed in April. So I really try not to use it. Yeah. I try to shop local. A really good way to not worry about Amazon's emissions is to go to a local bookstore you know, go to a hardware store, go to those places that like they need your business as much as you need a local person in the neighborhood that recognizes your face when you come in. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And uh, in case you hadn't noticed next week's episode will no longer be sponsored by Amazon. No, it'll be sponsored (laughs) by the Nissan Leaf as, as per usual. (laughs) As always. Yes. All right. We have a quick, unfortunate update from the BBC where Meryl Sebastian writes, Precious cheetah cubs die in India National Park. So two of three cubs that we spoke about last month, which were the first cheetah cubs born in India in more than 70 years, have unfortunately died with the third in critical condition. The cubs reportedly did not handle unusually high temperatures well, and there are considerations to move the next litter to a different location. It's a sad, important reminder that this is why animals have so many babies at once, and that wildlife conservation is really a series of smaller battles it's not something we can declare victory on as soon as a few cubs are born which is something that we talked about when we covered the cubs being born you know it's optimistic it's a good story we're happy about it yeah it's not like those three cubs were gonna single-handedly replenish the indian cheetah population so it's tough and uh you know we just have to hope that we have more success on on the next litter no absolutely unfortunate All right, our last quick hit of the week is published by Ersted, and it's titled 3D Printed Reefs to Help Restore Marine Biodiversity in the Kattegat in Denmark. So yeah, this was cool timing. Since last week on the show, we talked about artificial reefs a little bit. Um, This was developed by WWF Denmark and Ersted, which is a company that develops and operates offshore and onshore wind farms, solar farms, energy storage facilities, and other green projects. 
12 3D printed reef structures have been placed on the seabed between wind turbines at an offshore wind farm off the coast of Denmark, where overfishing, habitat loss, and decreasing oxygen in the water have led to biodiversity loss and increased damage caused by climate change over the past 20 years. The reefs themselves are shaped almost like wedding cakes, according to this publication, with several layers that are connected by hollows where fish can swim in and out of hiding places. Other organisms can attach to the artificial reefs and grow naturally upon their surfaces. Ersted expects the reefs to become quickly inhabited by local marine life and to complement the stone reefs already located in the area. Ersted and WWF Denmark believe that these artificial reefs will have a positive impact on the Kattegat cod population, which should lead to a healthier and more resilient marine ecosystem around the wind farm. The way this is going to work is cod is a predator. So it preys on other marine species and helps maintain that balance of the ecosystem, that balance of the food chain. This relates directly to climate change because cod eat green crabs. Those green crabs eat sea snails. When the green crab population gets too high because the cod population is too low, those sea snails are going to struggle. And what does this all have to do with climate change, Matt? Sea snails typically eat algae that can overrun eelgrass and eelgrass is an important marine carbon sink. So all of that kind of works together to say cod are really important mm. to maintaining eelgrass, which is going to lower carbon emissions by, by absorbing it back into that plant. What a fantastic example of a micro ecosystem in Denmark being a perfect example for the rest of the artificial reef community to to build these th these same things where, you know, uh, the ecosystem is struggling for whatever reason. Yeah, and that's where it's, it's really important to look at environmental engineers mixed with wildlife conservationists, mixed with people in office. Like everyone needs to kind of come together like an ecosystem and work with what you're good at, you know, perform that service mm -hmm. and overall just restore ecosystem balance. Like that's going to be more and more important as certain species can no longer really make it without that help due to climate change. Yeah, great point. Great point. All right. That will do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back on Monday for this month's mini-sode. But until then, go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Nick Chinusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more of me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Peace.